Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. My name is Tim Barton. I'm the pastor of Family Ministries here at the Vine, and I want to take you back. I'm going to take you back to 1996. I'm going to take you back to Christmas morning in 1996. I was a teenager. I know I look older than that, but I wasn't. I was a teenager then. And I opened my first present. And the first Christmas present I opened, I looked at it and I went, looked up and I went, oh, yay, socks. And I don't know, I don't remember if I said it out loud. I remember my mother's face. So I must have said it at least with my expression, but something along the lines of, oh, how generous of you. My mother was not pleased with that, but we went on with Christmas. But I, I suspect that if, if I had had a different circumstance or a different perception, let's say that it was cold outside and I was living outside and I didn't have any socks, I might have found those socks to be a bit more generous. This morning, what is your perception of the generosity that you have received? What is your perception of the generosity that you have received? You know, when we talk about generosity, the first thing we tend to think about is, is a financial situation. We think about money. And, and so let, let me just go ahead and talk about that for just a minute because when, when I say, what is a generosity, what is your perception of the generosity you've received? Some of you in here, and I know this, have had really tough lives, but you may feel like no one's ever really been generous to you or helped you with much of anything. And I don't want to minimize that because I know things have been hard for some of you. Others in here have had really hard circumstances, and, and you know that you've received much generosity um, from others. You, you recognize that in your life. Some of you um, have had super hard circumstances, um, but you don't really realize yet, or you, you, you don't, excuse me, you do realize um, because of those circumstances in your life that, that the things that have been given to you are a blessing, and so you're very grateful. There's others... Others who, you know, you've never really had it very tough overall. And so you might not be as generous and thankful as we come up to this Thanksgiving week. And then the reality is kind of there's in this room, there's a combination kind of of all of that. Even in our own hearts, there's a combination of that depending on what we're talking about. I want you to hear this statement this morning. Through Jesus alone, and and so if you've trusted the work of Jesus, through Jesus alone, you have received the greatest generosity. And if you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, I'd ask you to consider the generosity that we're talking about. And, And as we talk about that generosity, I want you to ask this question to yourself. Is this a generosity that I need? Or is this a generosity that I would like to have? Because in our passage today, what we're going to look at together is the Apostle Paul, 
who formerly persecuted Christians prior to writing this, um, the Apostle Paul was reminding the church in Corinth of the deep generosity that they have received and then how that should change them. And so we're going to look together at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 8 through 15. And as we look there, I remind you that this is God's word. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. So let me remind you of the context of this passage from last week. Paul here is collecting an offering from the church in Corinth. The, the, the offering is specifically for Christians, um, the, the Christians who are in Jerusalem. So the, these Christians were former Jews who had become Christian. They'd begun following Jesus. And as a result of following Jesus, they're living in a culture where their communities are in this, this Jewish culture. Everyone around them is Jewish. Um, and so their families, many of them, their friends, they're, they're, they're in this Jewish area. And so now what's happening is these Jewish Christians are being, um, being shunned to a degree, shamed. Their businesses are struggling. And so they're, they're poor. They're struggling. They're hurting. So Paul's writing to the Christians in Corinth, and he's reminding them of this. And he's saying, remember, there's a need here. We talked about this last year. That's what Paul's saying to them. There's a need here. And he's encouraging them to support the struggling believers. To further that point, um, in verses 1 through 7 that John shared with us last week, Paul used an example. He's saying, Corinthians, this is what we want you to do. But he uses an example of the Macedonian churches, which are in Philippi and Thessalonica. And so he uses an example of those churches, those, those who were, and this kind of puts it in more context for me, those churches, just so you know, were 800 miles away from Jerusalem. Right, so it's not like they were next door. So they're 800 miles away from Jerusalem, and he's telling the Christians in Corinth, those Macedonian Christians, even though they didn't have much, they wanted to help and support the struggling Christians in Jerusalem. And John showed us last week that the Macedonians... That example that they gave generously, they gave sacrificially. And here's the one that gets me. They begged for the favor of being part of supporting these fellow followers of Jesus in need. That was in verse 4. They begged for the favor. So Paul's reminding the church in Corinth of the deep generosity they've received. And he's saying this should change you. Let's look at verse 9. Here we see our first point, which is the generous love of Jesus. 
Verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So Paul, having given a human example, hey, y'all, you've heard about this. Let me, you know, here's this human example of what the Macedonian church did. Now he says that, do you know where the motivation for that came from for them? The motivation to, um, to give from their time, their talents, their treasures, in this case, their, their treasures, their, their heart of, of um, financial and resource giving. You know where it comes from? Or another way to say that, hey, Corinthians, you know what it means to be generous? It comes from the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so verse 9, he says, it says Jesus was rich. It's important uh, to understand that Jesus wasn't just a good man. If some of you are teenagers in here and you're going to go off to college, and you're going to, if you hear anything about Jesus, it's going to be he was just a good man or he was just another prophet. Well, that's not what the Bible says. All right? He wasn't just a good man. He was actually, we know that God is one God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He was God the Son is God the Son, even today. Um, He is God the Son. And that's a big concept. We can talk about that more later, but you can see a little bit more about Jesus in in that role in Colossians 1. You can go back and read it, but here's some highlights. It says, Jesus has always existed. He created all things. All things were made for his glory. He was 100% fully God. And he had it all. He had more than we can understand or fathom because he had a perfect and harmonious relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. But he left these things because sin and brokenness had entered the world. And the only way for it to be made right was for him to become poor. That's the next thing. Because of sin and brokenness in the world, and, and therefore because that, mean, that means, by the way, that each one of us are broken. It's why there's death and sickness and decay and sadness. You know, we can also we talk about it this way. What are we born with? Your parents might have stuff, but what are you born with? Nothing, right? Clothes have to be put on you after you're born. We come into this world with nothing. But we're also born without any hope of forever stopping the brokenness we will face in this world. We may be able to slow that brokenness down a little bit, we may be able to insulate ourselves from it a little bit with, because we have ample resources and we can, we can work some things around, but we will face it. So that's why Jesus became poor. Next week, um, we start the, the season of Advent. Uh, when, we, when we talk about Jesus coming, I already told you who he was when he was rich. He became like those he created. He became like us. And he came. He was born into a broken world. He was born into a carpenter's family to run for his life, to be mistreated, to be misunderstood, to be misinterpreted, to be falsely accused, then to suffer an unfair trial, to be beaten, to be mocked, to receive all shame. But even worse, that sounded pretty bad, right? But even worse, 
because of my sin, because of your sin, those who follow him, he experienced the fullness of the brokenness in this world. Even though he was perfect, he took upon himself the sin of all mankind. And we know from the rest of Scripture that the Father could not look upon sin without judgment of that sin. And so he turned his face from his son. Another way to say that, in that sense, he abandoned his son because this is what we deserved for the Father to turn his face from us, to leave us to those things we, we, we were pursuing. Jesus became poor for his children. But by his poverty, we are rich. By Jesus' generous love, by him becoming poor and suffering for us, we have deeper riches than we can ever imagine. So our hope, our only hope, is in what Jesus has done for us. Now, if you're, if you're sitting in here today and you're not a follower of Jesus or you've kind of grown up in the church and you're just not sure about it right now, um, I want to say this to you. Is that if, you, if, if you're not following him, you are still desperately poor, desperately hopeless. You may have all the resources in the world, but think about it for a minute. Have you found the peace the satisfaction, the joy, lasting peace, satisfaction, joy in all those resources. Even if you think so today, the day's coming where you're going to realize you haven't. And I plead with you today, we, we do, that you'll receive the generous love of Jesus this morning. Followers of Jesus, though, let me not stop there. Followers of Jesus, do you realize how poor you were? Do you really realize how poor you were? Do we? Because if we don't understand the desperateness, the desperate situation that we were in before Jesus saved us, if we don't get it, then we still in some way think that that we had something to do with it, that we, or that we at least believe that we somewhat deserve Jesus' love if we don't understand how desperate of a situation it was. Because when we think we deserve something, we can't see a gift as generous, can we? Let me help you think about that for just a minute. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you have ever raised children? And if you haven't, you've all been children, right? All right, you don't have to go much further than, I'll use this example, I could use multiple ones, but children and food. All right, if a child has always had what they want, if a child has always had food to choose from or food on the table, and they come to sit down at the table, are they always going to like what you put in front of them? No, well, maybe your kids do, but we have, we have three kids, and it feels like every meal there's at least one of them that doesn't like something, right? But if, those same, if, if, you're, if you as children 
we as children, your children, if, if you never had anything to eat, you might realize how great a gift of generosity that food before you is. You might be a little bit more thankful for it. But spiritually speaking, we're the same way. If we think that we added anything to our salvation, we are watering down the generous love of Jesus. But let's assume, because I do know most of you, and I think most of you are thankful for the generous love of Jesus. I think you understand how poor you are, at least mostly, right? We all struggle. We all find places in our life where we're like, oh, wow. Um, you understand that mostly. You're grateful for his riches. And you, we do um, mean it when we say um, that, that I'm thankful for what Jesus has done. We may even know that we need to keep growing and understanding what he's done. Growing and understanding that he's merciful and gracious in his love. And he does that again and again. Growing and understanding that, that he never leaves his children. Because we have the Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of our inheritance. And, and so we, we understand those things. We understand, we, we, would, we would say we get the generous love of Jesus. But often we stop there. We often stop there. You see, we address the spiritual need, but we don't want this to impact our day-to-day lives. We often fear losing something that we desperately think we need to be fulfilled, to be happy, to be satisfied. But don't forget the context of the passage. Paul is, is using an appeal to what the Corinthians knew and believed about their spiritual lives, about the generous love of Jesus. He's going back to that to say that that should impact their day-to-day lives. That should impact their responses, their lives as followers of Jesus. Knowing the truth of the gospel, not just in our heads but in our hearts, should change every area of our lives. It often changes so slowly, but it should impact and change every area of our lives. But it seems like the Corinthians were struggling with the application of the day-to-day. Especially when it came to money and possessions. Often, we do too. We have idols of approval, of power, of comfort, of security, that, that we think we have to keep those things in place. And we use money and possessions to try to keep control so that we, we don't lose the things that we think we must keep. And so it goes something like this. I need the money and resources I have to, to keep approval. I, or, or said differently, I need the money and resources I have because I want to be friends with that person. And they won't hang out with me, with, with me without that. Or I want to fit in. Or um, I need to keep up appearances. Or I need the money and resources I have to keep comfort. That goes like, I, I want the freedom to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, to have the possession or experiences that keep me comfortable. And so we use it to try to keep those things. Or I need the money and resources I have to keep my security 
I've got bills to pay. Or I think I can protect my, my um, life, my future, my family from disaster. I have to hold on to these things to safeguard my future or my spouse's future if something happens to me or my children's future. And, and here's the point of all that is that in these scenarios, we're treating money and possessions and resources as the hero that we think can give us what we need. We think that it can be the hero and provide this approval, comfort, security, power. And so we try to use it to control, to manipulate the circumstances. But Paul's pointing us back here to the generous love of Jesus. Because my approval is in Jesus, because he is the hero of the story, I don't need an abundance to keep up appearances. I don't need an abundance to make me comfortable. I don't need an abundance to protect myself and my family. Because through Jesus, God promises to supply all I need. The Bible tells us over and over and over again that every single thing we have in this world belongs to Him and it's from Him. Your ability to work belongs to Him and is from, from Him. Your ability to provide your, your, the, the food you have, the money you make, all that, and I could go on and on, all that stuff is from Him. It's not ours. We receive it as a gift and as stewards of it. Paul's reminding the Corinthians that they're on the receiving end of great generosity and the generous love of Jesus, and that should impact what this looks like in their day-to-day lives. And so the second thing we're going to look at, it'll be a little quicker, I promise, but is the generous love of Jesus can make us generous. Look at verse 8 again. In verse 8 it says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. Generosity, what he's getting at here is generosity is an act of love, not duty. An act of love in that it is in response to the generous love that we have received from Jesus that we follow and obey and live in response to his love. When we view it as a duty, it's a checklist to try to earn his love. Generosity is an act of love. Paul's used, after using the example of the Macedonians, though he's speaking tenderly here, but he's speaking very clearly. Often we, we have a hard time hearing about the topic of generosity because we've not asked God by his love to transform our hearts to be generous with our time, with our resources, with the gifts that God has given us, with the talents and abilities he's given us. Paul speaks here, the topic he's talking about here is saying when we get the generous love of Jesus, being generous is an act of love that flows from it. And that's why he goes on in verses 10 to 12 to be very clear and specific with the Corinthians. And David's, Dave's going to put these up on the screen, the verses themselves. I'm going I'm to paraphrase them. 
Verse 10, it says, you started doing this work a year ago with a strong desire to do it. That's what Paul's telling them. Started doing this work with a, a year ago with a strong desire to do it. And he's going, verse 11, so finish what you started. Do what you said you'd do. Verse 12, he says, what you give is acceptable based on what you have. Um, and so, so what you give will not be the same. Quit comparing with each other. It's not going to be the same. And then verse 13 to 14, Paul refers to the principle that one of the reasons God gives us what we have is that we are to care for and support fellow believers in need. Last week, um, after John spoke on this, I told you that the verse that really stood out to me um, as he was teaching on this last week was, do I, and, and the question I was asking myself was, do I ask God for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, that is, fellow followers of Jesus? Or do I hope someone else will take care of that? And just try to be transparent here. I think in reality, a lot of times for me, the answer to that question is, in my own heart, no. I don't beg God for the favor of taking part in something else, even the, even the relief of fellow believers. And I can find myself hoping that someone who has greater resources, at least by my perception, that they'll take care of it and ease my conscience. Y'all, when we look at, when I look at, I'll keep it off of you and put it on me for a minute. When I look at the generous love of Jesus, then my heart is compelled to ask God to give me a generous heart towards others. But if I think of being generous as a duty, um, ultimately that's because there's still something messed up in me. There's something that's broken from the way God designed things to be. What's broken? In verse 15, Paul shows us. In verse 15, he's quoting from Exodus 16, 18 as an example. And he says, and as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Now, do you remember the story and what he's referring to here? In Exodus chapter 16, the Israelites, Moses had just come to Pharaoh, all those stories we remember as kids, right? And Moses comes to Pharaoh and he, and he um, takes the people of Israel out of Egypt, the Red Sea, they've crossed the Red Sea, the Egyptian army's been um, destroyed behind them. So now they're wandering in the wilderness and what do they start to do? They start to complain. They're hungry. All right? And they're saying, Moses, why didn't you just leave us in Egypt, leave us in slavery? It would have been better. Moses appeals to God. God says, I'm going to provide what you need. And so he promises manna. It's, um, basically, it says it looks like dew had covered the ground. This, this um, white type British stuff. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Best way I get, the best I've got. All right, he provides this and he tells them, go out every day and gather what you need for you and your family for today. 
Some of you have big families, and so you're going to have more. Some of you have small families, yours, your, the amount you're gathering is going to be less. Gather what you need for today, and only um, before the Sabbath will you gather for two days. All right. So that's what they did, right? No. No, because they saw all that stuff on the ground, and they thought, well, I mean, you know, what's it going to hurt? Let's get some extra. They didn't trust that God was going to do what he said he would do and provide. And so they gathered more. They put it in jars. What happened the next morning? All that extra they gathered. Yeah, explicitly, there were maggots in it. It had rotted. And you know what that's got to smell like when you open it. It stunk. For us, like the Israelites, often we don't trust that God's going to provide and do what he said he's going to do. We also, because we don't trust God, but instead trust that we, we need to use these resources to get that stuff we need, the approval, comfort, security, power that we talked about earlier, we kind of hoard and protect too. Or we use our resources to chase things that we believe provide us with that stuff. But the resources, the things, the pursuits we thought would make us happy, over time, sometimes literally, but often figuratively, they begin to stink and rot. This stuff that we look to, that we think will save us, that we think will be our hero, it doesn't provide what we think it will provide. Yesterday morning, sitting around a fire pit with my grandfather, who's 83 years old, he's seen a lot. And we had you know family and kids running around, but several different times it was just the two of us sitting out there and And he goes, son, I've seen a lot in my life. He said, this year has been a crazy one, but it's not the worst. Keep in mind, he lost his wife of 63 years this year. And he said, you know all this stuff, stuff that I've had, I realize I can't take it with me. And if all of it went away, Jesus is still here. That was particularly special for me because as a teenager, I didn't see that in my grandfather's life. And I've seen that grow and develop over the years. And I pray that that day comes, that when that day comes, that I, that you, that we, will realize, yeah, all that other stuff, it fades. But Jesus is still here.
And then we will experience with him the glory of his riches. In eternity forever and ever with him. But it's through Jesus alone that we've received the greatest generosity. I want to invite you with me for a few moments to reflect on that as we prepare for communion. Karen's going to come up, um, and Karen's going to sing a song. And I just encourage you to, to listen to those words. As it's about Jesus, who was rich, becoming poor. But I also understand that some of you, that's, that's going to be a better way for you to reflect. And then for some of you, um, I've all, we've also put a quote here that will be on screen. And it speaks of the same things. But I want to ask you to prepare your hearts for the Lord's Supper. And as you, as you prepare your hearts, I want, you, I want to encourage you to do two things. Ask the Lord to show you where you're still holding on to, to these things that you think you need to provide you with what only Jesus can give you. And then thank Him for His generous love as we prepare for the Lord's table. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.